taking obviously a break from Isaiah. So uh, today we're in Luke 12. And if you haven't got a Bible, would you be able to stick up your hand so that Andy can come and give you a Bible? Uh, just Alice as well. In Luke uh, chapter 12, so if you've got a church Bible, that's on page 735, so Luke 12, and we're going to be reading from verse 22, so if you look at your church Bible, on the right hand side of the page, if you go down, there's a little subheading, and it says, do not worry, and I'll just let everyone find that, and then I'll read Great. So let me start reading Luke 12, verses 22. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or, your, or about your body, what you will wear. Life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the lilies grow. They do not labour or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon, in all his splendour, was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it, for the pagan world runs after all such things, and your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Uh, so Steve's going to come up in a few minutes. I'm not here to tickle your ears or otherwise. I'm here with a greater goal, to invite you to bet your life on who Jesus Christ is. That there is no greater thing than having him at the centre of your life, him being your very life. That's what we're talking about today. Is that all right? Okay. When, this isn't an ordinary Sunday when we're talking about Jesus. It never is. And therefore, could I invite you, dare I say it, to sit yourselves up, to come with a level of expectation, to shuffle in your chair, to hold on to your chair, to strap yourself in, because we're going to be talking about what it means to know him as the greatest thing. 
It's not an ordinary day. It never is when his name is being mentioned. Would you pray with me to that end right now? Let's bow our heads together. Heavenly Father, we daren't, oh, forbid it, Lord, that we would act as if it's a normal thing to talk about Jesus and just move on. Lord, we know from your word and your promise, we know from the testimony of history that there is none like him, none beside him. And so, Lord, we pray that we would come to this next few minutes with a posture of expectancy, dare we say it, faith and hope. Lord, would you awaken our thoughts and our minds to thinking great things of him? Would you stir our affections deep within? Would you exercise our wills that we would not simply treat Jesus as mundane? We praise you that his king, that he is king and that his kingdom endures forever. His rule reaches to the deepest elements of who we are and what we hope in. We pray, Lord, for a turning, a redeeming, a renewing of our very person in the presence of Jesus. So come, mighty Holy Spirit of the living God, come and do your work amongst us, we pray, so that we enjoy that good and he gets all of the glory. Come, help us, we're needy people. In his name we pray. Amen. Are you ready for business? I am every Sunday morning. What do you think is my primary emotional experience every Sunday morning as pastor of this church, knowing that I've got to get up and preach? What would you guess is my primary emotion? Excitement. Excitement. I wish it were so. I tell myself it should be, but it's not. Good try. Somebody else. Fear. Close. Worry. I'm going to tell you why you're right and wrong in a minute. Right now, what does my head feel like? It's going to explode. Why does that happen to me on a Sunday morning? Why do I smile when people say, how are you, but lie and say, fine? Why do I do that? Because I'm a professional, yeah, that's why I lie. Because <laughs> professionals lie. What is my emotional experience? Can I tell you what my physical symptoms are right now? Are you ready? Right now, I'm feeling amped up. Ever, anybody ever felt like that? I, when I feel amped up, I have a sort of tension. I feel like my head is just, there's more in there than should be. I get down the side here... I feel a sort of tingling and a pressing in the side of my face. I feel as if I'm under threat, but if you ask me why, I cannot tell you the answer. What is my emotion that I'm experiencing? Anxiety. Worry shouldn't be what that translation is in the Bible there. Do you know where it says, the Lord Jesus says there, do not worry, because worry is a thought process that leads to an emotional response. In the original language there, it doesn't say do not worry, it says do not be anxious. Anxiety is a disconnected emotional response 
that sometimes you can connect to specific worries. It is an emotional, physical response. That's what anxiety is. Now, has anybody ever felt anxiety? Okay. Now, I want you to imagine for a, ta- for a moment that a special gift of power has been endued upon me in this moment. And the power that I have been given is to do one thing in your life that would remove your problems. Think about it. What would it be? I know enough of, of you to know what some of the answers to that would be. Lord, I've got this health concern. If you just, if that one thing was dealt with, the background noise, the buzz of anxiety would disappear. Lord, that relationship in my life, that person, just get them out of here and I just wouldn't feel this. Have you noticed that each and every one of us have things in our life that lead to a level of uncertainty a sense of our own powerlessness, things that touch right at the heart of what we hope our kingdom life, our, our own personal little world would be like. And if we could fix those, our emotional well-being seemingly would be in a better place. For some of it, it, us, it's, I can't change me. Therefore, I look down the course and the the, the future days, weeks and months and know it's only a matter of time before I ruin everything and I get, I I don't even worry about it, I just feel it and I feel it there. Am I the only one? Now, some of you know me well enough to know that um, I don't mind telling you about how weird I am. Some of you will know that out there there's a, there's a wheelie bike. Can any of you remember a couple of years ago what I was trying to do? What was I trying to do? Learn to do a wheelie. Okay. But what fewer of you will know is why. <laughs> why on earth does a guy in his mid-40s want to learn to wheelie a bike? But others of you will know that that caused me a great deal of stress and anxiety. And you're like, just don't try and wheelie. But it's what wheeling a bike meant to me that caused the anxiety. So, as some of you know, I like to focus on little challenges, little tasks, little things that uh, I want to achieve. Hey, Callum, hey, Jess, come on in. You're welcome. And I decided one day... I should be able to wheelie a bike. Has anybody ever been there? Sue, how do you feel about wheeling a bike? But in my own levels of weirdness, I thought, you know what? I'm Steve Casey. And if there's one thing that Steve Casey should be able to do, it's wheelie a bike. Weston, it wouldn't be wheeling a bike for him. I'm guessing it would involve driving very fast in a very powerful car for Weston. 
for Nathan, who knows what goes through Nathan's head? But you know what? Steve Casey should be a wheelie a bike. And so Steve Casey did what Steve Casey always does. When he comes up with a plan of what he should do and a decision, he will leverage everything to make sure he achieves his goals. And where do we go when we want to leverage everything to achieve our goals? YouTube. So I didn't watch one tutorial on how to ride a bike a wheelie a bike. How many do you reckon I watched? I hate to think how much data I used up on that, but let's say it was an awful lot. And then what I did was I considered what kind of bike would be the best bike. And then I stopped multiple scallies around the estate and said, can you show me how to wheelie a bike? I got very disgruntled on one occasion when one of the lads who lives five doors down from me um, was clearly as high as a kite on weed. Absolutely and I said, hey, mate, teach me how to wheelie a bike. And his mates look, look at me and think, you loser. And I thought pretty much the same. And he pops this amazing wheelie. And he goes one-handed on a wheelie through these bollards. And for a very short moment, I thought, if I'm going to achieve my goals, I need to smoke some weed. <laughs> and so I didn't just, all the YouTube tutorials said, you'll nail it in 10 days. If you do half an hour a day, so I did an hour a day, literally to the point where my hands were bleeding. I followed the technique, keep your arms, don't pull up, lean back, get in the right gear, kick it up, and you'll succeed. Day five came, eh, nothing much. Day 10 came, and I'm starting to get worried. Day 20 came, and my children are going, oh, what is wrong with him? Day 20 came, nowhere near. Two months into it, I've crashed my bike in this room on more, uh, reasons that, uh, more occasions than I care to admit. And what am I noticing is going on in my head? I'm beginning to feel anxiety. Why do I even care? And that is at the centre of what we're talking about today. You see, the Lord Jesus looked out on a hillside and he saw a crowd of people who were full of anxieties and worries because he knew that anxiety is not so much about pressures that come upon us because everybody has pressures. Anxiety tells a story of what we are most invested in and value. Now, we'll come back to my psychosis in a moment. The Lord has created you and me with the ability to value and invest in things deeply. And you'll find that they circle around, those strong emotions circle around what matters to you and your little kingdom. That's why you can see something terrible on the news that is happening on the opposite side of the world. Maybe see people in terrible distress. And what does it do to the emotional needle in your heart in that moment? It tips it just a tiny bit. 
But if that same thing was happening to somebody in your family, what would happen to the emotional needle? Whoa! Because our emotions will circle around what we value most. Therefore, if we want to know what we live for, care about, our personal kingdoms, what we're living for, listen to your emotions. Now this series that we're going on at is helping us to hear God's message to us in the midst of difficult emotions. That's exactly what was happening in this little account that we had read in Luke chapter 12. The Lord Jesus looked out on that crowd and he saw them experiencing difficult emotions, dare I say unwanted emotions, and rather than saying, oh, they're just there, saying, actually, use this as an opportunity to hear God's message to you about what kingdom you're living for, what kingdom you're uh, living in, where your life is found. Do you see this? Now, I know that when you have a difficult emotion, what do you want to do with it? Oh, it's the very opposite of when you have a positive emotion. When you have a positive emotion, maybe you're out with your mates and just having a time of your life. Maybe, maybe you're driving through a beautiful set of countryside and you're just like full of awe. Maybe you, you're enjoying, a, you've had a cracking meal and you're enjoying a level of contentment. With those positive, desirable emotions, what do you want to do? Hold on to them. Keep them. They're the essence of life and joy. But what do you want to do when you get a a difficult, unwanted emotion. What do you want to do with it? Do you want to sit there in it? What do you want to do with it? You bunch of freaks, be honest. What do you want to do? Get rid! And ha- what are our general strategies to get rid of difficult emotions? Shout out a few. What do you do to deal with the fact that you're just not feeling great or you're feeling anxious? What do you do to get rid of it? Lash out sometimes, so don't be around an anxious person because, oh dear me, they want you to experience their panic. Deny it. Good, what else? Escape. Escape. Do you know one of the primary, the primary images of what we want to do in Scripture is find a rest and a refuge from hard things? And that quite often is the the right thing to do. But we have this wonderful ability to escape into all the wrong places, don't we? And so, as you know, we're running the addictions group. And one of the key key issues that we talk about in terms of knowing our our, our story when it comes to addictions is why is it that somebody, using one of their phrases, is reach for a bottle? It's because we think we can master something to help us manage our difficult emotions, our anxiety, our sense of worthlessness, maybe even our anger. We want to escape a difficult emotion. That's normal. If something hurts, who wouldn't want it to stop? Or else what we try to do is we try to manage our way out of our anxieties with a plan. So after day 20 of trying to wheelie, what do you think I did? Oh, you, know, you guys know I'm stubborn, so you know I didn't give up. What do you think I did? I bought a new bike. Because clearly that was the problem. 
I came up with a plan. I watched more YouTube tutorials. I spoke to more kids smoking weed. I doubled the number of hours. I had the blisters on my hands to reveal it. Do you know when you try doing wheelies for very long, you get very big blisters on your hands. So some of it, some of us, our strategy is to escape. Others is to try to play God and, and be an even better king of our own little kingdom. Do you see that? Here's an idea for you. If you're somebody who knows you want to escape when you feel difficult emotions coming at you, if you know somebody who, you know you're somebody who likes to try to plan and play God, instead, slow down and listen to what God might be saying to you in the midst of that difficult emotion. Has anybody here ever given thanks for their anxieties? You wouldn't dream of it, would you? C.S. Lewis talked about how the Lord so often speaks to us through our blessings with a whispered voice, but shouts like a, uh, as if through a megaphone at us through our sufferings and hard moments. How can we leverage those difficult emotions which have, are allowed, the Lord has allowed them into our world so that he gets the glory. Remember, all of the giving of emotions has been so that he can get the glory, so that he can be known and glorified and experienced, so that his kingdom can be lifted up and elevated. One of the core assumptions here that the Lord Jesus has without even saying it is that you were made by God and for God, and that even means your ability to value. Therefore, emote, have strong emotions. It's all about him. So one thing that is happening here is he is taking down, ironically, our level of fear at unwanted emotions. Because so often, unwanted emotions, anxiety, can be a gateway through to a new experience of his grace. Do you believe that today? Some of you, if you're not already anxious today about a great many things, will be in the future. Would you resolve here and now today to say, Lord, if this is actually a gateway through to a deeper experience of your kingdom, please would you do it and give me the strength to hang in there while I wait? Have you ever heard anxiety talked about like that? Of course not. You can't talk about it if there is no God and if there is no purpose in our emotions. But if there is, we can dare to believe that in those unwanted emotions that we experience that are so tightly linked to what we live for and we value, God could be doing something good. He could be speaking to us of his grace. That's what he does. Now, is that a word for anybody today? A few nods of heads. It's almost an unwanted word, isn't it? Who wants difficult emotions? So the way the Lord Jesus speaks about this, let's just skim through it really, really fast, and we're going to land on verse 32. Let's shoot through it, and I haven't got time to do all of it. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry, or do not be anxious about what? Your life. Now, 
that goes against every protection mechanism that you've got. Because who's going to look after your life if you don't? And when it talks about life, it's not talking about merely existing, merely health. It's talking about your kingdom investment in terms of what you live for. And the reason we know that is because of what it says in the next verse. Verse 23, life is more than food and the body more than clothes. Life consists in meaning, purpose, identity, future, rule and vision for who you are. This is said in the context of a sermon where the Lord Jesus is speaking at a crowd and he's basically inviting them to come out of the kingdom of self-dependence into a kingdom where you live with the Lord as your God. A God who has control of all things. In this kingdom, you have to control all outcomes. In this kingdom, you have to decide what is worth living for, where you will find your identity, where life will be found. In this kingdom, you trust somebody else to do that, a better king. Now that's risky, isn't it? The life of faith is one of surrender from, I will take charge and decide all of those things, to, I'm in God's hands. Now, from your track record, who's probably going to be more reliable? You or him? Now, that makes sense at a logical level, but at a heart level, who do you really want to trust? Whose interpretation? Whose power? Who do you want to trust, people? Is that not your daily struggle? You see things that pop up on your phone and immediately, like, I want that. You listen to people's wisdom. You see the place your life could be. And you say, I think I'm pretty good at deciding what my life should be all about and who to trust and how to trust and what to do. And in that moment, that's the kingdom of self breaking in. And so often the voice of the kingdom of self is louder and more compelling and more present than the kingdom of a God who reigns and rules over all things, who made you for a purpose and has pledged himself to you. And you wonder why we get anxious. <laughs> because when you're in the kingdom of self, who does it all depend upon? Who has to deliver? Who is the judge as to whether you're good enough? It's a crushing, cruel kingdom. Yet we walk ourselves into it every day. And the Lord Jesus says, life is more than food and clothes. They were so stressed because in the first century, basically you had a future if you had your food and if you had your clothes. And of course food was hard to come by and clothes either wore out or could be stolen. And so he goes on, consider the ravens. They live under this kingdom, the kingdom of the true king. They're just birds. <laughs> Consider the ravens, they do not sow or reap, they have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? And he's just so demeaning, the Lord Jesus. He's like, have you any idea how little level of control you have? 
Oh, the kingdom of self loves the idea that we can make something of ourselves. That doesn't mean you're not, by virtue of the fact of being made in the image of God, um, called to, to live fully before him, but you have any idea how little control you're over, uh, you have over you and your future. Day by day, minute by minute, second by second, you are totally in his hands. Andy and I were talking about a song that we, we, we used to sing at Bridge Chapel, written by Bill. Our days are in his hands. But whose, whose hands do you feel like you're in? It feels like we're in our hands. You're not, says Jesus. And you're like, well, don't I have personal responsibility and human autonomy and blah, blah, blah? Of course you do. But for the Lord Jesus, what is really complicated for us isn't for him. Both can be true. But the question is, which one is ultimate? My effectiveness or his? Who do you really think? So let's put it a different way. On that last day, for those of you who have trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour, and, and you're seeking first his kingdom and receiving his mercy and forgiveness, if you have trusted him as your Lord and King, and you get to that great, that great place, you are with him in the new heavens and the new earth, and you look back, who are you going to say is the one who has held you and kept you? Me? I can't even wheel a bike. And I'm in recovery. Our world tells us, you've got to make it happen. Jesus says, since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Whose hands are we in? Can you surrender to that vision? Are you safer in your hands you can't even decide what it's worth living for. So you come back to me and my wheelies. Why does it cause me such anxiety that I can't? Anybody got any ideas? I'll tell you. Because I can't bear the thought that I can't do something that I set my mind to. Now, for me, that's my poison. Now, each of you will have a reflection of that one. But that's what my anxieties center around. I'm not enough to deliver what I say I should be able to deliver. And the arrogance of it is that I'm the one who decides what I should and shouldn't be able to do. Now, for others of you, your anxiety doesn't center around that. Your anxiety centers around the prospect of being left out, not connected. For others, your anxiety centers around not food and drink, but respect. For others of you, it's success. For others of you, it's being attractive. You catch people's eye. 
For others of you, it's being insightful. I understand, I know. As many good things as there are to be, we will attach our identities to them. But who is it who has picked that for us? Us. I'm the king. And the Lord Jesus so gently says, since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider the lilies grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? In other words, he's saying, <laughs> God does it better than you. And he's more generous. And life is found in him. And he can be trusted. Why do you keep wanting to sit on his throne? Whose hands do you really want your life in? Who do you want to say what is most important? Look at what he does with flowers and a field. He's trustworthy. And when he throws in that little, uh, that, that little phrase at the end of verse 28, which you guys are so familiar with, and you may have heard me tell you this before, oh, you of little faith. That's literally translated. It's like a nickname. It means little faiths. So he looks at a crowd of people like you and like me. He looks at me and my failure to wheelie and why it's so important to me and why it matters and feels like an attack against my very identity of who I want to be. In that moment, he looks at me and he goes, come on, little fates, come with me. Come with me. Come with me. And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagans, remember what the pagans are? They're sim simply a name of people who don't know this personal living God who has been made available to us through King Jesus. For the pagans would run after all such things, and your father knows what you, that you need them. He's saying it's possible to be somebody who follows Jesus, who sings the songs, who knows their Bible, but has a pagan outlook. Because you haven't entrusted these things to your living, to your heavenly father. Anybody ever been guilty of that? <laughs> and who'd have thought you'd have learned that from wheelies? What is it for you? What is it for you? In what way are you a little faith who has a pagan tendency? Or if I've got that in my life. That's fixed. Trace that back. Follow it back. What's it say about what you live for? Who you want to be? Where you find life? Trace it back. Do that work. And before you just simply try to escape or manage your way out of that tough emotion, speak up and say, Lord, what, do you want, what are you saying to me in the midst of this anxiety? What is your message about the shift I need to have. Lord, I, I'm prepared even to sit in this for a little while 
if it will help me let go of myself and lay hold of you more tightly. I, I am a little faith, but I don't want that to be where I end and where I finish. Thank you that you do this so gently and yet so thoroughly and so authoritatively. For the pagans would run after all such things and your father knows that you need them, but seek his kingdom in your anxiety. You can say it to me on a Sunday morning, I give you full permission, which basically means it's the first thing Tony's going to say to me next week. But I give you full permission. Next Sunday, when you see me looking anxious and me trying to cover it and lie, you have my permission to say to me, how's your seeking of his kingdom going? What that means is, how are you, how are you surrendering all your emotional junk over to him and saying, be my king? That's what it looks like. And he wraps up with this, verse 32. Do not be afraid, little flock, which tells us he knows we're like sheep and we're under threat and we're not big enough to live on our own. It's the most insulting thing I could possibly say. One of the things that you do when you become a believer is you confess and you hold up your hands and you go, I know what I am. I'm a sheep. I am dependent. I don't even know where to go and get food. But he looks with this beautiful gentleness and he says, do not be afraid. Do not be anxious, little flock. Why? Because you have the potential within yourself to overcome. If you name it, you will claim it. Now, that's what I will say. Always push forward. You can overcome. You, there is an inner strength within. He doesn't say that. That's not what he says. As appealing as it is to my ego, it's not true. Instead, he says, do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Or in the ESV, I believe it says, has not your father given you the kingdom? In other words, Look at what he has given and offers you. Doesn't that make him trustworthy? Do you know what it costs the father to be able to offer the kingdom to grubby sheep? The precious blood of his own dear son. And if he has given you that, restoration, forgiveness for your sins, a place in the family, a new identity, he has claimed you for his own, has not he given you the kingdom? Does it really matter that you can't do wheelies? Oh, but it feels like it matters. I want, a, I want both. Surrender to me. Trust me. It will feel like a death, but you're buying into life. That's what I want to do in you. And I love the way he speaks it so gently. Little flock, come. Come to me. Do it because your life depends on it, but do it because you've chosen to. You've chosen to come and receive this kingdom and let this, the blessings of this kingdom be the story that you live out of. 
not the number of people that you gather to yourself, not the number of challenges that you overcome, not the number of things on your to-do lists that you've battered down, not that you've managed to make all your relationships work in your life, not that you're living the dream, whichever dream in the fads and fashions of Instagram and TikTok and whatever else comes along, not because you've got your name up in lights, but because you've got a kingdom that lasts into eternity that has been gifted to you by one who loves you more than you can possibly ever imagine. Can I ask you a question? Has your fear of anxiety altered today as you've listened to this? Fear of anxiety. Because when we let the living God into our troublesome emotions, he will speak a message of grace and he will redirect to something deeper. Now that's what we're going to be talking about over the next four weeks. We've seen the beginnings of how he does that in anxiety. We're going to see how he does that at points of despair. Many of you know what that looks like. Some of you are experiencing real grief at the moment. What good could come of that? Don't you dare undersell the living God. What about regret? What about anger? Our God is a God who has made us emote that he may meet us in the middle of it. And all I can do is invite you to grab on with both hands. Let's pray before we sing. Lord, we want to praise you for your kingdom. We want to praise you for your patience with us when we try to build our own little kingdoms and decide where life will be found and who to trust and even who decides. We thank you that you've made us for yourself and we thank you that your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, left heaven, came to earth, went to a cross rose again to win us back and claim us back and re-establish his authority and worth in our life. Lord, we confess that we put up a fight. But Lord, as we've seen your word today, our hearts are warmed that we may put our confidence in you. Oh, Lord, help us. We're needy and desperate. Be the cornerstone of our life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing together.